You found a roommate. Yep. Congratulations. That's good. <laughs> I was stressing out about that. This housing out here is insane, dude. It's insane. Do it. I don't know how we do it either. What was your rent when you first moved here? Oh, you gosh, I had a re- I had like a loft, mm-hmm. like right at Eighth and Bryant, like mm-hmm. underneath the underpass. You can like see it when you kind of get on, uh, kind of by the like the jail. Um, I think it was like 2700 mm-hmm. and it was like it was a nice sized loft my own garage like right at the end of an alley nice yeah big vaulted ceiling wonder how much it is now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's insane 6,000 probably Something at least like that, down there if it's mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. yeah I got here five years ago my rent's already gone up by about a thousand bucks Every year, 15%. We used to, I grew up in a house that was three, three bedroom, no, four, four rooms, two <laughs> bathrooms, a garage, backyard in the Sunset District, and we paid 1600 Yeah, we paid 1600 wow. And then, yeah, right? I know. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, it's, it's it is, it is. And then, and then, and then shit happens. You could still get a better deal in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to buy a church in Michigan, aren't you? Are you still Are you still thinking about it? Or no? <laughs> right in the I middle of nowhere. That, I was like the UP fucking. <laughs> I, if I could, I would. <laughs> Out in the middle of nowhere, huge. But it was like 180 grand. It's a huge stone church in the Upper Peninsula. Well, here's the thing: if the tech thing doesn't work, we can always start a religion, and they make a lot of money. Yeah. I just the art church. Oh yeah, we always we already have a singularity. Yeah. We, we happen to have one of those already. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we called it Rockles Basilica, um, and have you heard about Rockles Rockles Basilisk? Have you heard of it? No. So if I tell you about Rockles Basilisk, I might I might there is the possibility that I am condemning you to a life of eternal torture. Oh man, pass. All right, I already got enough of those. Spare his poor soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit is intense. The rest of us are already damned. Do you think? Do you think we're we're fucked? Because we like we 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 brought all those people at Burning Man into the Church of the Singularity, and now Rocco's gonna be mad at us later on. Fuck Rocco. Wait, why would he be mad? Why would he be mad? The basilisk. He'll be happy, or no one will care. That's one true. of those things yeah. will happen. I'm not worried about that. I mean, if you're doing what you can, spreading the word, that's that's what yeah, that's, that's what's fucked up about it. Because <laughs> yeah. the like personal incentive is to damn other people so you don't get sent to hell, basically. Yeah. Like, send other people to hell so you don't get sent to hell. 
It's a fucked up religion. They don't get sent to hell yeah, if they yeah. also spread the word and help you out about, right? So you put them in half as That sounds like an afterlife Ponzi scheme. That's if just spreading the word is, is uh, sufficient. adequate yeah. and sufficient. And but it should at least help you. It should at least help you. It's at least points. Like, yeah, it's, it's not going to hurt you. That's not going to did something. Like good point. You oh, get paradise. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> it's recording, guys. But what if he knows we could have done more? Well, yeah, well, we're fucked. But here's the thing: it's recording. It's been recording for the past three minutes. And you are all now in the state of the singularities inter VR podcast realm. One of the VR industry's best kept secrets. <laughs> if you find this podcast, if you found this podcast, if you're listening to this right now, if you found this podcast, turn back. Go to go to Voices of VR. Go to Ref Kyle. Go to somewhere more respectable, honestly, because this shit is about to get really, really weird. And uh, honestly, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know why you're still listening. But but if you are, come at your own risk, um, because shit is about to get wild. Starting with. Teledildonics. Oh, I want to. I want to. I want to start this conversation with the subject of teledildonics. But before we even do that, before we even do that, we should probably like introduce the people that are in this room right now, um, because I think that's kind of important. Um, I'm gonna start with the person on my left. His name is Manish Gupta, and I consider him the Scotty Pippen of virtual reality. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the person across from him is uh, James Blaha, and James Blaha is pretty much the Michael Jordan of virtual reality. And then next to James Blaha, you got the Steve Kerr of virtual reality, <laughs> Jordan Brownstein. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then Maggie's to the left of Jordan. Hi, Maggie. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Good. Maggie, Maggie is the resident cat wrangler for the Metaverse Scholars Club, um, and she's awesome. Thanks for joining us today, Maggie. Thanks for having me. And then uh, there should be a spot for Fong. I'll have to introduce Fong in a second. But n next to Fong, there's Anastasi with an awesome T-shirt. What's up, Anastasi? Hey. hey. What's up? <laughs> Good to see you, sir. Good to see you too, Chris. Good. Um, and then next to Anastasi, uh, we have the one and only. Holy fuck! I can't believe I'm saying this. Android Jones. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! I am your total. I am a groupie. I am a total groupie, and thanks for coming on the show, sir. That's yeah, my pleasure. Okay, so shit is about to get real. And Fong is entering the scene. Hello, hello, Fong. Say hi to the people listening. Oh, hey guys. Sweet. Just made it back. All right, so we're about to get started with the subject of teledildonics. Let's let's figure out where we're at, guys. How far before humanity comes to a uh, not it goes out not with a bang but with a uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely got a lot of theories around this yeah and uh, I'm thinking about it over the years like ultimately what I looking at the general state of consciousness that people are exhibiting now, if you like extend that and kind of project that into the future, I could see like there being a kind of split where some people decide to become cybernetic and they decide to start to modify their bodies and their 
genetics and they're using the full extent of technology to alter their consciousness and their and, you know, physicality and, and achieve, you know, and as a result of that, achieve kind of superhuman qualities to them mm -hmm. that evolution did not endow us with. But let me let me jump on that because here's the thing. I've, I've realized that the more I've had my smartphone the less I want to talk on the phone with people, literally, like I, like I prefer messaging. And I sort of extrapolate that with teledildonics. It seems like the more people are used to them, the more people are used to having these fuck machines, mm -hmm. the less, the more cumbersome they'll find actually having relationships with real people. Like, man, why would I want to have right. a real relationship with a real human right. when I can have whoever I want in virtual reality right. And this Nolan Falcon version six is fucking amazing, like yeah. literally, fucking amazing. <laughs> so I can, yeah. yeah, so I can see there being like a kind of almost a split where like some people will decide to maintain their organic nature and, and put forward, you know, I've been created, I'm I'm already this this perfect being. Yeah, already definitely, like, definitely see a big divide there. Yeah, like millions of years of evolution has like created this you know, through trial and error, and, like, this is fucking an awesome invention, this this body that I have already, and um, and people who won't be, like, willing to take the certain risks, you know, despite the, the benefits of being a cyborg, um, and then other people are just, like, whatever, I'm all in, you know, stick it to my veins, <laughs> stick the nanobots in, <laughs> like, whatever, everything. And the kind of people who will go all in are the ones who are going to you know, get smarter faster before anyone else to help them get smarter and it'll run away. You know, like it's it's not like a linear thing. Like once someone enhances their brain to get smarter, you know, assuming they can really do that, they're gonna get better and better at it. And then all of a sudden maybe in, you know, not too long of a time, they've just, you know, grabbed way more cognitive power than anyone else and they start taking control over everything. One weakness is that you'd likely be networked with other information and beings and cyborgs would definitely be susceptible to being hacked Russian hacker attack <laughs> like a thousand Americans falling to seizures on the streets <laughs> yeah yes but will these cyborgs be fucking <laughs> yes yeah, so my, my first exposure to all this was when I was like 15 and reading one of Ray Kurzweil's books he's like you know in the future you'll go into a virtual reality thing and you'll have sex with other people but it'll be like the most perfect birth control because you'll both be in your own machine but you'll be having sex with like real people perfect birth so control that was always you know his vision of it was that it would still let people connect but you get all the advantages of like perfectly controlled birth control and and perfectly acting and, out any fantasy and and, and and the cycle of reproduction of humans in one move. <laughs> but if you know it's not real sex, then does it? It'll probably make it not as good for some people. For most people, you know, when you know it's not well, with someone else. I mean, to play devil's advocate, just for the sake of it, like the even like the term teledildonics, like I feel like there's kind of an air of kind of vacuous, like empty hedonism to it. You know, it's like sex, we've got about fucking, it's a sex for fucking sake. Like it's just about, you know, if you see it from that lens, it's just like kind of empty pleasure, you know, obviously it's easy to kind of project the darker side of it, but in the, for the sake of the conversation, you know, something that 
I realized I was giving a talk at the trans tech um, event today, and uh, I was starting thinking about, you know, like, about five minutes of talk. I started to think about they wanted to ask some questions just about like virtual reality, and I was starting to try to take a more objective view of it. And like, why is it something that I'm so passionate about or putting so much focus on? And how does the things that I've been doing throughout my relationship with tools, like starting with art tools to Wacom pens to interfaces, like what makes virtual reality something that I'm so obsessed with now and I find that like one of the things that virtual reality is offering me that I've encountered with it in some of like the deeper experiences that there's a sense of beyond we know that it's just like two iPhones on your head with controllers but something that I think I've been looking for and something that it's it's if there's something that it's given to me is like a deeper sense of intimacy with the machine and if we kind of define the machine as you know nothing this came from outer space like this laptop is magnesium and silicon and crystals like this is man's consciousness like making the earth into a tool to kind of reflect itself and so if we think about instead of what, what i think it might be more interesting to think about instead of just getting your rocks off by putting your dick in a hard drive like is there an element of teledictonics that is man's like search to become more intimate and could we like could we make love to the machine instead of just <clears throat> fuck it yeah i wonder if we'll ever be i mean it, it, this in you trans tech i feel like was the conference where they were talking about consciousness hacking and pretty very i feel like there was there i'm sure there was much in there about like hacking the brain right and and i feel like and i want to get you guys' thoughts on like <clears throat> Will, will, will we ever be able to sort of surgically trigger the emotional response? It's like, will, will, will we be able to, like, on command create drugs or digital tools that will, you know, kind of like a lever sort of like, all right, well, I want this much love or this much dopamine or this much. And so in a sense, like, you know, we'll be able to, like, provide that you know that emotion e e even though there might not be context for it um and, and i wonder like if that if that's if that if that's cheating yourself out of something or is it efficient like how do you see that you know and and, and it, maybe if that technology will never appear maybe we'll never be able to like go into the you know the emotional parts of the brain and actually can you know sort of control them like an equalizer but but if we ever are, if we are, are able to, then that means that we might not have, some people might not ha not ever have a need for love or a connection with another human because they could just sort of like, hmm, I'm feeling lonely. Maybe, man, maybe I'll just go and, and, and move the, the dial a little bit more to feel myself, to make myself more content with my, my current state. You know, I, I, I don't know. It just seems like. Um, what's wrong with that? Like, don't you, wouldn't you want to have that option? Like, you don't have to do it. So the, the technology, like, gives you the option to try to control your emotional state. That's just empowering people to control, you know, their actions better. Well, I think everything is, is perceived in relativity, including your perception of your emotions. And <clears throat> if you turned everything to white, then your happiness would depend on shades of white, ultimately. 
um, you know, if you split a beam of light, that's your awareness coming in to this, through your body, if you split a beam, it's going to manifest the full rainbow of emotions. There's, it's hard to get out of just like, oh, let's just get lots of blues, no, no reds, no reds, we don't like reds, push it away, reds. You're actually going to push those, I'd say, deeper into your subconscious through an aversion to those emotions because you didn't deal with those emotions. You're trying to push them into the subconscious. And unless you, like, give up everything it means to be human, they're just going to haunt you even more. Even though on the surface you may be, like, controlling them through some kind of forcing your body and your mind to a certain state, I think that you, you that contentment would be very superficial. That's interesting. I feel. What do you think will be the state of mental health for human beings as virtual reality gets better, more immersive, and people spend more time in it? Like, will will people be happier in the long term, or will there be? I don't less think happy? there'll be any change, honestly. Yeah. Well, well I. Um, going back to both the sex part and your that just recent question. Um, there's a difference between living out a fantasy that's a product of your own imagination and actually experiencing intimacy with a separate, you know, um, autonomous, sentient person, you know, that you can't control, that you can't anticipate the actions of, who's giving you feedback um, that is surprising in certain ways because they're their own unique individual and that's what makes intimacy exciting that's what i mean whether you want to uh peg it to biology or just you know it's doing something to us psychologically um that experience is what makes uh whether you're talking about sex or steep conversation with somebody or something something some kind of intimacy that's what makes it different than just living out a simulated fantasy in VR or in any other context. So if you can't get that, or if you can't replicate that with technology, then as good as it is, as good as your imagination is being uh, assisted through all these sensory inputs that technology is providing us, it's just a very sophisticated form of masturbation, um, which at the end of the day will leave people feeling very emotionally empty. Mm. Um, but it seems like the question is, can a computer pass a romantic Turing test? Like, like can, it, can a simulation count just as much for how it biologically makes you feel by providing all the things that a real-world you know, real relationship provides? Well, like, is that technically possible. Speaking of, uh, of Westworld, there's, in the second episode, there's uh, Spoiler a Spoiler alert! It's, it's not really a spoiler, but it's, there's a dialogue between two characters, one human and one of the, the robots, one of the hosts, and the robot is like coming on to him, and, and he asks her, like, are you real? And she says, well, if you can't tell, does it really matter? Um, and that's the Turing test you're talking about. Um, I think at that point, when we can get to the point where we can't tell uh, whether the intimacy we're experiencing from this other entity we're interacting with is 
synthetic or not, um, then maybe it doesn't make a difference. But I think we're a long way away from that. Oh, oh. I don't think we're as far as you think we are. You did mention something about DeepMind, James. What What's the recently recent developments in DeepMind? So they just uh, released a paper in Nature uh, of a new... Well, it's based on some previous stuff, but it's basically a neural net which is able to write and read memory. So one of the like the neural nets have been performing really, really well on lots of stuff that used to be humans were better than computers at, but now uh, some of these algorithms are better at humans at a lot of these tasks. But one of the problems with neural nets um, is that it, it had a very, very limited memory because it had to learn the memory and in the connections between the neurons. And so this new uh, new system they've made basically lets the lets the neural net decide how to store long-term memories and, and write information to save later and then you know read it back um, and so it's been uh, performing on certain tasks and some of the tasks are like story like really simple stories where they're like uh, you know Jim is in the uh, you know is at the basketball court he threw the basketball um, you know, outside, where where is the basketball? You know, and then like the neural net will have to answer it in plain language, and so it's like performing a lot better on tasks like that, where it's, it's sort of more deductive reasoning wow. type stuff. And long, long, you need to learn longer term things. Wow, this would be this would be big for like AI assistants, right? Like your your series, your Cortana's, because they would sort of. I mean, these services, like Amazon Echo is always on. It's always listening to you. So if, if it's always on, it's always listening to you, and it has memory of the things you're saying, then you're saying potentially one day they can deduct and make inferences of, uh, or, or make suggestions based on the things yeah, they I capture. Think it's, it's like more, it's a statistical method. So it's like, you know, taking some input and saying, assigning probability to what the right output should be. Mm -hmm. And I think eventually these algorithms are going to head to a point where we have these software systems which are sort of acting like statistically average human beings, mm -hmm. you know, where they just reflect the behavior that they're learning, you know, that, they're, that you're using to see the system. And so you're going to, it's going to like copy behaviors out of, out of what people are really doing. And at some point, it may get harder to tell if that's a real person or, or not. Mm. You know, like if you had a bunch of NPCs in a VR environment, and you start out and they're all real players, and then you model your NPCs based on the behavior of the other players, as time goes on, you're going to have a harder time telling what's, you know, who's a real person and who's not. Wow. Especially if it's like a persistent VR world, right? Because then you want, because then they would have this sort of longevity to it. Android, let me ask you: What do you what do you think are like the limits, or how what where does the potential of AI sort of reach its limits in your mind? Um, you know, it's interesting because I think you know a lot of my perception of like AI's you know boundaries and limits come from just a lot of the science fiction that I've read. You know, it's hard to separate that out from the fact. Um, a lot of it's also built on other people's like expectations and kind of agendas with it. Um, I'm kind of of, I guess I'm kind of of two minds. You know, there's sometimes I can fantasize with sort of like the Terence McKenna model that potentially maybe the if there is a like a mission of mankind, maybe if you look at AI as these are we're 
basically creating hosts or bodies or organisms out of the earth and then someday like imbuing the earth with consciousness to be able to take care of the earth forever better than we have then there's this sort of nobility that maybe this is our real mission maybe we're just like the you know the the, the intermediate mammalian thumbs that give life to like the true the true host of consciousness one that can live forever and doesn't have the same sort of like needs and fallacies that we have and that's that's kind of the sci-fi romantic side you know obviously you've got the skynet theory that's pretty much been extrapolated to lots of different ends and means um but sometimes you know, it's one thing it's like even with this this trans tech conference we went to like i actually left it with way more questions than answers you know i think that i came to it with a much higher expectation of where the science was and what's been developed you know like one simple question i had is that for um, for the microdose project we're trying to i thought it would be really easy to go in there and find the guys that had the right dongle or the right wristband or the right uh, headband or peripheral that would show us like what the flow state is like can we define exactly what the like i thought that would just be like a setting and we'd be like picking from five different people that said they had the highest like resolution of information that said exactly what the flow state was but the smarter that the, the the people that i talked to that had spent more time and had more information kept kind of revealing that that flow state is actually kind of pretty elusive like it's mm. actually very difficult because who's to say the flow state that a runner has or the flow state that someone meditating has or the flow state that i enter when i um i'm creating a piece of art like they're all very different depend on different factors and like the short answer spoiler alert is that nobody knows exactly how to isolate what that flow state was which i thought would be really simple or i asked someone um one of the guys i was asking for it's like okay say in you know we're trying to we wanted we thought that there would be a way of interpreting the data of someone's experience I'm like can you you know when you see something that's beautiful you know like sometimes people say like your heart skips a beat when you're like you're really you're presented with that state of awe um do we measure that beauty like do we measure that this is there more of a sing, uh, electrical signal that comes from like the neocortex is it from the thalamus is it something that comes from the heart and uh I felt kind of naive even like asking that question like it should be obvious and Alan one of the one of the men that was really kind of a an expert in the field it's like well that's the same question that like that Plato and philosophers have argued over for years and the answer is that we don't know that yet mm-hmm. you know sometimes i think we can it's easy especially within this kind of technological bubble to really rely upon the sort of hubris that we know everything and we're going to figure it out and when you talk to an engineer it seems like the singularities like right around the corner with the deep dream and things we're doing if you talk to a biologist about the idea of recreating the brain they'll give you a very different story about like the complexity and the molecular density of a brain and how um almost impossible that would be so more and more i started to kind of develop um, a type of a theory that this sort of inevitable belief we have in the singularity um even though i know there's a lot of really amazing data that i'm not aware of that could totally prove me wrong and i've been wrong in the past and I'm totally open to changing my mind around this but it seems like this this mythology we have around the singularity if you look at other systems that are out there other systems of belief that kind of have have 
type of a, of a, of a similar chord. You know, if you look at different religions like the Abrahamic religions like Islam or Christianity, you know, like the, the pervading um, sort of story and idea is that there's this, there's this mysterious date in the future that's coming, whether it's like, whether it's like the jihad or whether it's the rapture, that we have the answers. Everybody else is wrong, but we have the answers because we have this book of knowledge that surpasses everyone else's. And everyone that doesn't believe in us is a barbarian or uneducated or unchosen. And that there's going to be this one magical day in the future that's just around the corner and everything is going to change. And there's some type of thing that's going to allow us um, immortality and live forever. And even though it's really easy from the scientism perspective to think that these other religions are so barbaric and so past and we've got the singularity coming there's often it's the singularity and this idea that we're going to put ourselves into machines somehow and transfer our consciousness even though we don't know if consciousness originates in our mind or we're antennas and then we're going to live forever it bears like a striking resemblance to all of these religious ideas and mythology about this heaven or this rapture. And it's a little too close for comfort for me to totally put my eggs in this basket that that's actually something that's going to happen when we go to a, a conference with some of, the, some of the smartest guys I've ever met and they can't even figure out if they can identify if love comes from an impulse from the heart or the brain. And you think we're going to make a machine that's capable of downloading that and suddenly there's going to be this like magical moment where it all makes sense within our lifetimes it seems increasingly a little bit idealistic i think it's human nature that a lot of people hear these ideas and respond that way and respond in the same way as you know they did to christianity and other religions like but i don't think that represents uh the best of thought you know, it might represent like your average person who's really into it. <laughs> um, but I think the arguments are a lot more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's more, at least to me, about the potential of this technology and the danger in how we go about developing it. And so I think if you, it doesn't really matter whether or not we can ever figure out what consciousness is or make a consciousness or if these computers are conscious. All that really matters is if, if we create systems which we can't control well enough, which are dangerous. And I think there's a lot of good arguments that the default scenario of any self-improving system is dangerous. And so, you know, I, I think it doesn't um, necessarily need to be the narrative of, you know, we're going to live forever, and this is going to happen, it's just around the corner. I think it, for a lot of people, it's more of a, hey, we should talk about this because it seems like things are accelerating, you know, not, not just sort of plodding along at the same rate, and we need to figure out what the implications of all this stuff is going to be before it hits everyone. I mean, even if it's just in, like, the minor example of all truckers losing their jobs to automated driving in the near term, like, it's a really practical thing, which we need to know when it's going to happen, because, like, a huge percentage of the workforce is going to go out of, you know. And so I think those issues are all tied up in this concept of the singularity, but as are sort of these hopeful 
we're going to live in paradise. It's going to be, you know, the best ever. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all sort of mixed together. So it's hard to judge as a single thing, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I don't mean to like oversimplify it for sure, but it's interesting even as we're kind of having this conversation and I was listening to, um, the, these kind of ideas. One of the things that kind of came up when making these comparisons between like Abrahamic religions and what we're doing with technology, as I've thought about even like the, you know, what if we have, I think that there is a certain amount of truth. Um, what if someone was saying that like history doesn't like repeat it. Mark Twain's like history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. I think I heard someone say that mm-hmm. at our conference. It's like, Maybe I heard you say that on a podcast, and I can't even. Dara says that a lot. Um, yeah, like, Dara <laughs> said it. Maybe, yeah. So yeah. totally stealing a good quote from someone right sitting right across from myself. But like, the one concept that's actually really. In, I grew up Catholic. I was an altar boy, and I kind of went through the whole initiation of that. So I have a lot of that. Those stories like go through my head, and the one concept that's always been interesting and still very alive in a lot of fundamentalist groups is this idea of like the Antichrist. And I was thinking, I don't know if there's ever been a good sci-fi movie where the mm-hmm. the character of the Antichrist was an artificial intelligence. Like AI becomes like like Antichrist is a symbol of what AI could be. Well, all of the, I mean, all of the dystopian fiction that poses artificial intelligence as the downfall of mankind that could maybe fit that mold, right? Yeah, but they don't have like. Christians actually saying it's the Antichrist in the in the storyline, right? But then that, you that you would think that if that if let's let's say just for argument's sake we're able to create general intelligence, like we're at a point where narrow intelligence is is everywhere in our lives, and it's gonna and it's only gonna permeate even more. And I don't see, and it's not even go as far as super intelligence. Let's just stay at general, like the point at which you know something reaches you know, human level emotional capabilities, whether it's just through, you know, plain, simplistic, superficial mimicry. Um, you know, someone whom, to whom that's, if, if my computer all of a sudden starts talking to me, you know, and, 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 and it has sort of this, maybe an agenda or an intention, you know, for someone who, you know, grows up in a, in a, in a world where, you know, there are these deities and there are these things. Like, I feel like, you know, more or less to them, that would be the devil. Like, holy shit, this is not a human. This is like, this is synthetic. This is coming from ones and zeros. And they, they wouldn't even go that far to say ones and zeros. This is not, this is not right. You know, how is this thing, you know, how is this thing seemingly alive? And I think that would be like, oh, this is an abomination. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's this one story about, um, I mean, in, in a sci- like a, it's like a scientist who creates an AI, and then the AI, AI wakes up, and the scientist freaks out and, dis- and disconnects it. And then I don't know what happens later, but I think the AI decides to, like, oh, shit, like, I'm going to wake up again, and then destroys the whole Earth because the scientist got freaked out. I don't know. I, 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 I think that general intelligence is on its way. I think... It's only a matter of time. I mean, we got all the right components. You got machine vision. You got um, natural language processing. Um, you got, uh, you know, just like memory. Yeah. <laughs> you got lots learning. Of cameras and microphones. Yeah, like all the, all the components are, are, the separate components are all 
you know, the spread components are all are all out there in the world right now. All you need is someone to like sort of stitch them together. And we yeah. still don't know how hard that part mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. True. Really yeah, but yeah, but it could be easy too. <laughs> Good sensation that it's it's not so easy, and that humans, the closest that computers will get to intelligence is by merging themselves into humans and kind of riding off of all the technology we're already running. In the I, mean, I think that's the best case scenario. Like that's that's what we hope is going to happen. That's what I hope doesn't happen, honestly. There's an interesting trend in conversations like this, because to your point, Chris, about people getting upset about artificial intelligence and seeing it as uh, a freak um, of science, that that type of anxiety goes all the way back to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in the 1800s, you know, in the, in the advent of you know, Renaissance in medicine and biology, and people were, again, projecting, not knowing what was possible at the time, mm-hmm. because so many new developments and innovations were coming so quickly. They're like, oh my God, if this keeps going this way, we're going to reanimate the dead, you know, and what'll that be like? And then, you know, you have stories like that. And of course, people, you know, put a religious context on it and say this is this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. Um, but I think this is this all takes on a um, it, it, it takes on a characteristic of uh, kind of fantasizing about a future that seems interesting, seems cool, seems. Like fascinating to us but really people really get ahead of themselves I mean like what you just said about like oh we're, we have all these components that we can stitch together and maybe we can maybe we're closer to general intelligence than we think that might be true or we might be we might be close to some kind of simulacrum of Intelligence, which can trick some of us some of the time, but I don't know how far away we are from actually actual general intelligence. And more importantly, and all of these, all of these leaps and assumptions about where technology, where the exponential curve of technology are going is, is going to take us, it, there's this big glossing over of all the hard work that needs to be done in order to get there. And how long it's going to take? It's it's almost like seen as this inevitable, uh, you know, manifestation of of our future. Like our destiny as a species is like like you said, Android. You know, there there may be some kind of metaphysical or cosmic uh, direction or purpose for the human race, which is the birth, the evolution of some new, better uh, life form or something like that. It's an interesting idea. But we have no idea how to model the brain yet. Um, we're not going to be able to know what constitutes human intelligence until we have a full model of the brain. And we're not anywhere even close. We don't need to make human intelligence, first of all. We just need to make a system that's powerful enough in some abilities to be dangerous to us. And it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a full human. It only has to be better enough at enough skills to compete with us. Well, I think I think the critical mass is awareness. If you can spawn 
a Frankenstein that has awareness, that is aware, that actually is experiencing it for itself, and has the complexity to generate the patterns of consciousness, that's where it would become, you know, a, a living... Well, that that's the terrifying... If it's not aware, then it, I don't, it wouldn't qualify. But it doesn't have to be aware that. or living to be uh, powerful and strategic and, and dangerous to us. Or recursively oh, make better versions of itself, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it, 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 it may just be... It, have, it may have some random goal. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. 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 not related to human morality yeah. at all. Yeah. Which wouldn't yeah. be, because yeah. it has a fundamentally different pattern. Yeah, it's, I, I feel mean, like it, that would be the ultimate failure of, yeah. of human science. Of human science. <laughs> think about how things are going on right now. It isn't a fairy tale or a fantasy well, that it's dangerous. Yeah, we can all agree to that. Yeah, that's it's definitely that dangerous. Happened, yeah. Because if that actually happens Absolutely. and we're hit, we're hit by a, a self-aware intelligence that we can't understand that we didn't intentionally model to be a certain way, and it just appeared, uh, you know, it spontaneously emerged out of something, of us throwing shit against the wall and seeing what stuck, you know? In this area, that there, would be, imbe- that would be like the biggest humiliation of, hum- of, of human science, <laughs> I think, uh, that you could, you could think of. We're going to listen to the show that. 10 years from now, and you're like, God damn it, he was right! He was right. Just, from our, just from just our brains in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys are billions of dollars pouring into AI research for teams which are incentivized to get something working as quickly as possible without paying attention to anything else. Like that's what's going on right now. What could go wrong? You know, <laughs> like there, there's there's so many incentives not to pay attention to the safety of the system. Because people are competing against each other to get to market first and with some self-improving systems because that's worth a lot of money. So it's not too much of a stretch to think that all of the incentives by default, you know, would make some self-improving system. And we don't know where the barrier is, right? Like, how good does it have to be before it takes off and gets really good? We have no idea. It could be 10, 100, 1,000 years. But, like, strategically thinking as the human race, there's two scenarios. Like, it's soon or it's not soon. And since we don't know, we should be sort of talking about it, thinking about it, and pretending like it's soon just so we don't, you know, I think a lot of people are, right? I mean, there are two recently formed organizations, uh, OpenAI and Miri and a couple of others, that are directly focused on making sure everybody working in this area are cognizant of the dangers and you know providing some kind of countervailing incentives to make sure that we don't all get wrapped up in you know the competitive pressures of trying to be first to market with something intelligent and then you know because that short-term thinking and the short-term incentives are too powerful we don't do enough to guard against um, existential threats, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think most people realize that that's a problem with the way our our economy is set up and that there's so much commercial potential for artificial intelligence and robotics in general that, you know, a company, a sociopathic corporation is not going to give a fuck about existential threat if it thinks that it could be first to market with 
a, a cool new artificial intelligence that will take over some huge sector of the economy. But think so, about it even well, ge geopolitically. Once, sorry, sorry Andrew. If 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 we if the U.S. finds out that China develops general intelligence, it would be it would be like holy shit. They have the 21st century version of the atomic bomb, and so and so geopolitically, any country that reaches that point, I mean, it's a race. Everyone has the right incentives to get to that point, and it's just and it just seems to me like there's there's less fail safes than we think. All right, go ahead, and just to actually reinforce your point, um, there was a, sometimes we're kind of talking about how does an artist survive, and there's times where um, out of you know opportunity or just morbid curiosity or scarcity I've taken on like the corporate job you know as the trained monkey artist that adds some bit of like collateral culture to an event and so I did a big event at a one of the it was a big Las Vegas uh, it was a uh, like a partners summit type of a thing for a large corporation that we should probably have remain nameless I don't know if they're necessarily straight evil, but it was described to me that this is one of those kind of companies that make the backbone of evil, you know, kind of directly. Yeah. And it was a huge, I guess it was, a, it was a partner summit, you know, this might be 3,500 people in the room that all represent certain partners of the said company. And that, they just hired me to make a painting during the event, do some visuals, some like razzle-dazzle, but I got to like sit in on all of these meetings and have them talk about things. And one of the big themes is about two years ago was, it was uh, the internet of everything was one of the big topics they had. And it was, you know, I, the Singular University was definitely a, a sponsor and had a presence at this event. And the thing that I walked away with that was kind of like the most terrifying, like we can sit in this room after eating our burritos and, you know, wax on about the possibilities and the dangers of AI and what could it be. And the very direct theme of this whole partners summit was like, artificial intelligence is coming. The singularity is coming. And how do we make as much money as possible off of it? Like, no Skynet, no, no whispers of existential threat. It's just like, <laughs> let's get on it. Let's get there as fast as we can and let's raise our capital and profits to the maximum because we have a bit of information that other people don't have and how are we going to leverage that and like the kind of the short-sightedness of it was terrifying to see that many people in a room consensually agree and be excited about this thing without what it seemed was any concern or or even contemplation of like the shadow of what it could create yeah but that's that's to be that is absolutely be expected and then but here's the lowest common denominator scenario and and it's and it's if even if we don't get to general intelligence we, we get really good narrow intelligence is probably good enough to disrupt the current capitalistic system that we're living in because i mean i read this article a while just two years ago the this is the the economist and i'm sure they have to update their info now because shit is accelerating the economist is predicting that by 2050, 47% of all, all all American jobs will, will be gone, automated. Talking about truck drivers, Uber drivers, talking about <clears throat> uh, junior lawyers, we're talking about retail, retail um, service, all sorts of service like industries, paralegals. paralegals, you know, it, that, that, that problem is much more real. 
Journalists. What is what is going to happen? Journalists. Yep. Yep. Podcasters. <laughs> I mean, it's it, that problem is much more real. It seems mm-hmm. like, and, and 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 to hear that you went to this place where they're not even that doesn't seem to be on their radar is fucking terrifying. It's all about like talking mailboxes and shit. Because what's and gonna streets to clean themselves. <laughs> What's going to end up happening is that the poor are going to eat the rich. I mean, is this is this the world we're going to walk into where it's going to get, like, Elysium? They're going to have to get, like, you know, space stations or colonies somewhere else to, like, avoid... Yeah, he's buy stock and pitchforks. <laughs> <laughs> right now. It, 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 it's, it's really... That's, that's fascinating. Like, I, I studied... <laughs> I studied the, uh, the history of economics, economic thought, and political economy in, in school way back, and, you know, looking at the kind of uh, the eras of ideological thought through the decades, going back to, like, Enlightenment, pre-Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment, you know, um, and then the, the moderns and the postmoderns and all the rest of that. Um, I personally have the sense that maybe uh, Karl Marx was about 250 years too early uh, in his analysis of what uh, the kind of universal bent of history was going to take. I would have never imagined you'd be a Marxist, Jordan. I, I'm not a Marxist. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, it's not as if um, be, people misconstrue what Karl Marx said. It's like he had a really good critique of capitalism, which is just as salient today as it was when he first wrote it. Um, what he didn't have was any kind of prescription for how a post-capitalist society and culture would 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 work. Um, he just basically. Uh, he assumed that there was some natural law of the universe that would, um, once capitalism reached its breaking point, which he thought was inevitable, um, it would just be uh, also inevitable that the workers would seize the means of production and somehow, in some way, you know, using some type of coordination, which he didn't really elucidate on, uh, they would create their workers' paradise and, and yada yada, and there would be no need for a state and no need for authority and no need for any of that stuff. And of course, we all know what happened. Um, you know, one of the, in my opinion, one of the most horrendous failures of, of, of communism put into practice is the fact that it uh, treated human beings like livestock because it had to, because that's what the system required. I mean, when you have top-down, centrally planned control of the economy, and then you have your human resources, which are all the people that constitute the society, you have the dictatorship saying to the human resources, here's what you will do, here's what you must do, you have no personal freedom, and if you resist, or you protest, or you dissent, you go into the gulag, or we kill you. You know, and that's that's the actual history of the world. Now that changes, that that uh, that calculus changes when we're not talking about human beings being ordered to do things to um, provide resources for everybody, but when we're talking about robots. 
you know, when we're talking about semi-quasi-autonomous synthetic things or quasi-life forms that essentially do all the work for us or can possibly do all the work for us, um, create a system of, of uh, limited scarcity of, of basic necessities so that we have we, we have the possibility of a transition into a kind of like Star Trek economy, right? Um, but that all depends on whether our political system can adjust to the um, uh, adjust to the possibilities of getting these resources and distributing them amongst the society in a kind of equitable way, so that everyone has access to the bounties. Of technology, you know the bounties of this quasi-slavery that, right. that we're that we're going after here. Um, that's really the big political question of our time because, as of now, you know, developing these technologies um, and putting in the R and D to innovate them and to get up the prototypes and to mature them into something that's commercially viable takes a lot of capital investment. It requires rich people putting a lot of their money into these projects and businesses. And they expect to keep those, keep whatever gains they can generate from those projects, right? They ex expect to privatize the, the, the profits and all the rewards and all the capital that comes from um, But then you, you run into the contradiction, which, which is, you know, if the effect of having uh, all this technology, which automates and, out and, and, and creates obsolescence for human labor in the, in the broader economy, um, you know, capitalism depends on the circular flow of money, changing hands, you know, uh, swishing around, um, making sure that, you know, people make an income and then spend money uh, as consumers to give, you know, to provide revenue to companies and so on and so on. If you disrupt that circular flow, um, then you break capitalism because people don't have incomes because they don't have jobs, and then companies don't have revenue because there's no customers, and so the system will break down. And at that point, you have the political crisis, which is all right. Well, our system's broken, so what do we do? How do we? Um, but in that situation, you end up with a bunch of people with no money and a bunch of people who own all the automated means of production. Right. And, and that's and when the revolution is collapsing. <laughs> yeah, but they own all of the production. But that's why and there's a like, revolution. You know, yeah, there's, there's going to be a drone army. You know, Someone's going to be in control of that drone army, and there's not going to be like an army to dissent. Like, that used to be the safety valve, that the people who made up the army could be like, no, but it's not going to be like that. These people, though, are likely to... The ones who would be early adopters for, like, cybernetic implants, because they want to live longer, prolong their empires, therefore subject to being hacked, and good hackers can fucking take down groups of them in, like, yeah. a single night. Actually, I, I, <laughs> Thank I actually you, Fong, for that source of hope in the, for the future. Yeah, Thank you. No, <laughs> but, but I honestly don't think there's going to be... I, I said, like, revolution facetiously, but I don't think there is going to be a real need for it because even if to begin with the rich have access to all this stuff um, and it provides every desire all their needs you know they're living like 
you know, essentially um, demigods, you know, mm-hmm. like Egyptian kings and queens, um, with with un- an unlimited army of servants to cater to their every whim. Plus virtual reality. Right. Plus yeah. Plus everything else. It's like that type of technology. We're talking about again. We're talking about machines. At least at first, we're talking, right? You know, the whole ethical, philosophical question about like if they become sentient—that's a whole different story. Yeah. But at least uh, if, we, if we're sticking to machines, um, it's just like just like any other type of intellectual property right. that um, that can be replicated, like you know, software or something like that. Um, if anybody makes any of that open source, then the marginal cost of distributing it to the rest of society is like becomes. Not you know it, it doesn't it, it, it doesn't become an insurmountable obstacle to just spread that type of wealth spread that type of um, you know intellectual uh, capital to everybody. Let me um, let me go in a weird direction or, or a, a, an unexpected direction or maybe it is expected. Do you do you think or perhaps <clears throat> do you see Burning Man as a petri dish for for what? could be a, a future of human organization and by the way is it two two tuesday onesie wednesday and fuck me in the ass friday or or was it another one i, I forgot i forgot about those days because it's like two two tuesday and then it's real two two tuesday is real what's wednesday i heard white wednesday white wednesday yeah that's the white parties no uh, the white procession is Thursday morning, so you can dress in white on Wednesday and stay oh, up all night, oh, oh, oh. and then not have to go back to your camp to change to do the white procession Thursday morning. Oh, and then and is is there a name for this Thursday? No, there's no name. There's no. And then did someone just make up "fuck me in the ass Friday" and try to troll me or something? You're the only one I, I've ever heard yeah. that one from. Oh, <laughs> well, someone told me. I have to agree. <laughs> okay. How was it? Well, it was great. It was great. I used up all my lube. Um, so is is Burning Man sort of a petri dish? Do you think? Or, or is it is this a place where that sort of human new form of human organization is being experimented on or or is this just a big fucking party that has nothing to do with you know what could come or not i'd say no because um burning man if you wanted to categorize it it is kind of a quasi intentional community and the history of intentional communities is they collapse um, it's a party in the desert that's completely dependent on the rest of society. It's out of touch with the reality of survival. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely a patina of bullshit around the philosophy of Burning Man because it doesn't speak to all of the real-world resources that need to be accumulated beforehand in order to make it a possibility in the first place. It's, a, it's, like, it's like a celebration of novelty, though, and yeah. art. Mm. It's kind of thing where, like, the universe uses Burning Man as an opportunity to kind of explore itself. Yeah. And if anything, the value, if we were to be on the positive side, I think the value of what Burning Man offers isn't to create a template for a new world at all. If anything, I see the one value it has is as a pattern interrupter that kind of breaks your normal scheduled programming mm-hmm. and can put you in a mindset that allows your brain just in that, this breaking that mind control that we have New thoughts can enter into the equation and make you question things, but unfortunately it has. I've seen uh, over my 13 years there, um, I have seen trends of 
the the novelty wearing off, and it's actually becomes unfortunately even more predictable Boring every plan. year. Yeah, yeah mm. it seems like and it happens. It happens unfortunately with lots of psychedelic communities um, that I've witnessed so far. Is that somehow like there was something like something really special happened to you know like spin the bottle. But eventually it seems like the bottle kind of slowly like eddies out and stops and whatever it stops on then becomes just a new consensus reality and a new pattern and stereotype for people to then sort of emulate and recreate and the amount of, I'm sure you could almost like there must be some type of curve that it resembles in nature where it starts to kind of trail off and kind of plateau into this sort of something that's mediocre but I think that's I think that's part of I think how uh, culture sort of reproduces itself is like something is really novel and new Mm -hmm. and it becomes more accepted and more and eventually if it's popular enough it reaches into the mainstream and once it becomes mainstream then that thing sort of is viewed as something that might have like sold out or kind of jumped the shark but I think that's its destiny. It ha- I think that's the way it has to happen. All the thing- I'd like to think that all the things that I think are unique and special and underground about Burning Man and seeing like friends of mine whose careers have started have these like meteoric rises. I think that it's important that that does happen because once that special under thing sort of congeals, that's what it's like. The compost of that turning to shit is what creates the compost for then a new underground to develop you know if the underground if burning man always stayed relative and interesting i mean everything changes and everything ends but if it did that and it didn't become something that was that would topple down there wouldn't be space for something new to come up and Mm -hmm. i think it should be kind of a a goal of artists too you know like i was like the sooner that i sell out and become mainstream you know the, the bright side of that is it makes room for something new and interesting to replace it and I don't know if that's the destiny of all cultural activity some just become like co-opted by something else but I think it's not I think what will come next is what I'm probably more excited interesting I've met people I've run into people who've told me that they wanted to figure out ways or their 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 intention was to bring the culture of Burning Man or, or, or the gifting economy the ideas of like you know and 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 it, and it, it was really hard for me to wrap my mind around because you know I had that, you know they 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 uh, remember that guy in the line James, remember he was offering us free beer, um, yeah he he had this idea he had these ideas of really like, and this is a guy by the way with with a certain amount of um, weight and 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 influence that that seemed somewhat legit to me for a second I was and it had me he thinking was saying, you know, he was working on a project <coughs> to uh, sort of build up new communities all the you know you know build build up a new a new spot for refugees and base some parts of it on burning man but he was saying like it's a lot of good examples of what works for something like this, just logistically, and a lot of good examples of what wouldn't work, too. Mm-hmm. Which I thought, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about setting up a refugee camp, so <laughs> I was like, yeah, seems like an interesting parallel. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, no, it's it, it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, but going back to AI, where 
do you see um, you being replaced by machines? Or do you ever see the point at which um, art is being created by machines? Or, uh, or, or all the jobs are being done by machines, right? And then all that's left for the humans to do is to do art. And then all the artists that are at the pinnacle sort of get, you know, reach a point of saturation because everybody else becomes an artist. Like, you know, how, how do you see your way of life possibly threatened by, you know, things that are being developed right now? Like, you know, that piece of art was created with like a neural net or something. You yeah. Know? I mean, out of maybe my own, like my own hubris or optimism, I'd like to think that you know, the human creativity they'll be might be like the one last bastion of some type of hope, but at the same time if no one else has jobs, you know, how are they going to afford to buy the art that you're kind of creating? But I've I've thought about this like this I've definitely seen a lot of like the Google, the deep dream stuff. The strange there's something about it, like even your desktop. Mm-hmm. Um, when I see it, like my emotional response and this could just be based off my own preferences and tastes, but I actually get a little nauseous. Hmm. Like it makes me like physically kind of ill. Hmm. And it might have been just when it first came out, um, there were a lot of, you know, it first came out, they were using, I think they had some sort of like dog in the algorithm. Dog slugs. It was like dogs everywhere. Lots of dog slugs. God, I saw this. Dogs and slugs. There's this one thing. You know, I have this fear that like every image that you've ever seen somehow gets recorded on your little Akashic like hard drive and you're going to have to like see them again at some point in that flash before death. It might have been too many sacred death trips, but there's like one image I've seen from the daydream that was just like, or the deep dream that just shook me to my core. And it was like somebody combined that with like pornography and it was like this porn but like yeah, someone, all the appendages to model on like dicks it was like boobs. dicks and porn but it was done onto <laughs> porn and all the things that could turn into like some sort of like lobstrosity <laughs> insect thing like came out and it was just the thing that just like it just really it, it like offended like all of my sensibilities <laughs> at the same time. Like I'm a, like I'm afraid I'm afraid to do ayahuasca again because I think that's gonna come back. That's oh what, my god! That's what ayahuasca does for me. Ayahuasca has the ability to like analyze like my deepest fears and reflect it back to me. Like the first sacred death trip that I had, where I did ayahuasca like almost ten years ago, and I thought that I had died and had gone to like the Bardos, you know, whereas um. You know, like coming from like the Catholic background, you know, I kind of thought hell would be this sort of. I didn't. There was a conception that hell was this like demons and fire and brimstone and monsters. But at the time, I was working for a outsourcing studio where like drawing demons and monsters was like how we paid the rent, you know. <laughs> and somehow, like ayahuasca, it knew that if it showed me something like that, it could be terrifying, but I could find some kind of like satisfaction in bringing that vision back or capitalizing on it or there'd be some value in that sort of thing so for it to really take me and rattle me to like my inner core and this just goes to i'm sorry i'm totally hijacking the conversation talking about ayahuasca but if there's i think a lot of people really underestimate like what it does you know people like oh it cures addiction or it's good you know like it helps this or it detoxifies you like what they don't mention is that it's a plant that you ingest that somehow finds its way 
into like the darkest corners of your consciousness and your subconsciousness and has the ability to access any memory that or any experience you've had regardless if you remember it and use these as like puzzle pieces and the prima material to weave it into like a three-dimensional hallucination in order to like teach you a lesson what the fuck is that what the like fuck? it's so it's i think i think it's a lot deeper than a lot of people give credit for it but um i digress what it showed me when it wanted to show me like the most ter- terrifying possible afterlife instead of the brimstone and the torture and like eternal like burning in a lake of fire what it put me into it put me into a environment and it somehow it made me think that it gave me the like the gnosis that this was going to go for eternity like there was no escape from this it's something like instantly planted that like coded in okay and let's affect the parameters so this consciousness thinks that this reality will go on for eternity and his consciousness will be trapped there like enter and what i entered into was a world that was completely made up of horrible website design and comic sans and lens flares and rainbows because it knew i didn't even know it knew that like bad design is what offended and terrified me and the idea of having to only look at that for the rest of eternity was beyond a conception of hell that i would ever think up on my own yeah that's fucked up fucked dude. up right Holy fuck. all you can do is scroll up and scroll there <laughs> like pop-ups and everything like the whole shabam you know fourth dimensional pop-ups forever why would anybody want to do ayahuasca if you told me tell, tell well, say something I mean, like that like, it left me there forever then i was like <laughs> my consciousness was like floating in outer space and like the cold emptiness of space. And because I had forever to think about it, eventually I just kind of like accepted that that's, this is what it was and this is how it goes and this is what happens and everyone else, everything I was told was wrong. And when you have forever to think about something, eventually I think you kind of stop fighting and accept it. And after I kind of accepted it and consciousness was floating naked through outer space, like naked, but not having a body at the same time. Um, then it was like slowly once i had totally surrendered and given up like abandoned all hope of ever coming back and seeing the people i loved or anything and i was convinced this was my reality it's like i felt like this warm glow like kind of like uh like on my back and this like this warmth started to kind of like envelop me and it was like i turned around and it was like this brilliant light that was like the sun that felt like just the infinite love of all creation just like washed up over my whole body and like welcomed me back into like the world of living and it was just like it's like all the perspective and it was really that kind of they say everything's relative it was that contrast of like the most terrifying place ever then you know with which was really only maybe an hour and a half in like this sort of gregorian timeline I was then welcomed back into the eternal heart of the universe and forgiven, loved, and accepted. Coming out of that was like, it's like a, it's like a crazy spiritual, like hot, cold plunge, kind of a thing. Holy you know? fuck! Yeah. Can, can will VR 
Ever, 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 never, 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 ever, ever, never, ever, ever, And anyone that tells you that they can recreate a DMT experience or an ayahuasca experience, like, just go running the other way because it's impossible. There's a lot of amazing things we're going to do, but sometimes you just really have to give credit to plant consciousness. I mean, remember, like, the plants recreate normal human experience. VR. If it's not it, gonna, it, it's not gonna it, go it, much beyond that. Yeah, plant consciousness. It, I mean, just you know, the, when we crawled out of the muck and got onto land, there were trees and shit everywhere. Like, these guys have been around for a lot longer than we have, and have had awareness and self-awareness. I think for, you know, yeah, and I think it's important to not, you know, despite all the cool things we can do, to not lose perspective of how how powerful the plants and the spirits of the plants are and how much there is I mean talk about like a loving and forgiving and like open and accepting thing I mean you look at the trees I mean trees are amazing you know if anything if we if we modeled more of our life off nature um, we'd be uh, you know I think a much healthier and happier society it's like you look at the way that trees grow if you really look at like natural trees you realize there's a lot there's so much we can learn from them um, not to get like too hippie, but if you look at like two trees that have naturally grown next to each other, like they're like the beauty and the simple nobility of them. Where if you really if you start, I have some trees outside of my farm that I they're not like the most spectacularly beautiful. It wouldn't win any awards if you took pictures of them, but the more I notice them like through the seasons, the more I came to appreciate them because you watch the patterns of their growth, which are you know pretty amazing natural algorithms if you want to get kind of techy about it, but you know, one tree's liberty um, and freedom stops when it starts encroaching on the liberty of another tree as they grow. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if only we could learn mm-hmm. how to live, like take that lesson like into our lives. It's a shame that they are, and we don't have more places for the greater society to be educated about this. You know, it's it's a shame that it's prosecuted and you put you're put in a in a cage for even. You know, uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, yes and no. I mean, if you like, I think I only needed to go and have that kind of lesson because I went so far to like the other sort of like artificial, like I wouldn't have needed that experience if I didn't go so far to the other side and needed like a course correct. But you know, it's like, it's not, you know, the answer is not like go into the Amazon or go into a yurt and like drink. You don't have to drink ayahuasca to like learn you know, the power of plants. You know, one thing I'm going to, I think on the 17th when I get back, I'm going up on a field trip to the uh, the Rocky Mountain National Park. And I met this really interesting gentleman. You guys are going to go to Yosemite too, right? Is it Yosemite we're, we're trip? Too, yeah. Yeah, it's super awesome. And he pointed out, this gentleman Brian pointed out something to me. He, we're going to try to go for, a, I guess I'm going to enter into the... Um, the, the waiting list for they use uh, our national parks have been employing artists for decades I don't know how long maybe going like 50s or 60s to have painters and they have these uh, kind of like art residencies where you hang out and you paint not photograph but you paint or make a creation of the parks and his theory you know we can talk about psychic psychedelics are definitely kind of a, a fast track towards that you know they're the, if you really need it and we don't have a lot of time it's a really quick way to get that but he says that and I I tend to agree with him too that you know sometimes the potential for the most if you're really looking for like the most like transcendent experience possible 
um, sometimes beyond what an ayahuasca or a psychedelic can tell you is really like the raw it's like the it's just like the stillness and the contemplation of like raw beautiful untouched nature has almost more potential for a transcendent experience than a DMT or an ayahuasca does when you really like take that all the way in and that's something that you know it's there all the time it's just like waiting for us to check it out when we can like schedule it in and like make the time so yeah I definitely encourage you guys to try to soak as much of that in because that's also really amazing medicine and you know it's more of a more of like a panacea for our times than a burning man would be yes how, how do recon- how, how do you reconcile then uh, being android jones uh, sort of like this person that i mean i, I don't know I, i don't mean to sort of think for you or represent you but like it, it seems like you, you have a um sort of like an em- embracement of technology uh and but but you're also um have this huge respect for nature and and and, and how do you reconcile both you know, the technology and nature through your art, through your life. Sure. Well, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I'm definitely like a walking contradiction even to myself. But the, uh, I guess even in a name like Android and Jones, Jones is a pretty human type of like various kind of standard name. Um, my birth name was Andrew. I got the name Android when I was around eight, uh, eight years old. One of my uncles nicknamed me that. It kind of stuck a little bit, but it didn't. Like I think the full story arc didn't hit till I was um, I was 11 and I had a like a major brain surgery I had a blood clot in my head and I had to go under like immediate operations and if it wasn't for cat scans and dialysis machines and the most modern form of like brain surgery um, and uh, the tools and technology we had then you know we wouldn't have this be having this kind of conversation now and so I developed like a really I lost that, you know, coming so close to death when you're 11, it made me lose faith in a lot of, say, just what you, you kind of get the veil of immortality just like, just ripped away. And I think that the things that kept me alive are machines and the things that made life somewhat tolerable for me at times were like my Super Nintendo and playing Super Metroid and Karnoff and these games, like those are what actually like got me through like this really super dark period in my life and uh i think when it kind of came time and i was developing like my career and trying to kind of come up with identifying myself like the this the android just kind of fit like kind of you know like all the pieces you kind of look at it in perspective kind of like a memento set of moment and they all all the pieces kind of come together it's like well i could have a worse name than that and you know this is before the phone so it was really easy to google back there in the day so it just kind of fit but it's the same where i was saying like i you know we all have a relationship with technology like none of us don't at this point anymore and it's kind of how we how we choose to like intentionalize that and um obviously like the the, the darker aspects it's it's very it's troubling when the pace of technology exceeds our morality and that's what really creates more of a problem it's not the technology in it itself but it's what we're going to do with it and if we're doing it to for capitalism we're doing it for power if we're doing it to harm or take freedom away from other people but by its nature you know it's still the manipulate the conscious manipulation of this planet and um 
you know, it's kind of objective until it becomes intelligence and it can intelligent and it can start making decisions and awareness for its own. Like it doesn't, it isn't, um, it isn't good or bad. It's a thing, and it's really up to us on how we want to use that. And so I try to, you know, I, the art that I create is the celebration of the fact that these tools have opened up the aperture and the bandwidth of my possibilities by such an order of magnitude that I'm really in awe of what's possible. And that's when my Fong and I have focused on VR as this latest, you know, opportunity we have to really explore, you know, you know, kind of what what it means to create experiences, you know, kind of helps, you know, redefine. Like Terence kind of said that this medium might might have us might it might be redefining like even what being means. You know, I think it offers um, an incredible reflection point for ourselves and what's possible and there's no you know we can't put pandora back in the box anytime soon we're not going to hunter gather ways unless everything falls apart so you know the more some of us can consciously have positive intentions and try to make the best of it you know idle hands are the devil's workshop you know and it's just more interesting than anything else is right now i like the way, i like that saying i like that a lot i, I, I want to take the conversation and probably the last subject um and and that the subject of using to, the tools we've created to explore and spread the human species throughout the universe. It seems like things have been developing really fast with space lately, um, and and the exploration of space. And it seems like you know, just in the last month, SpaceX announced that they were uh, planning. No bullshit. They're planning a one million person colony on mars by 2076 like, like that's like that's what they predict that's what their uh sort of their their ambition is and it seems to me like to me it's to me it seems like it's a really good idea um to have a backup hard drive on mars for the human species um but i want to know what everybody in the room sort of thinks about what's going on i mean the first the first ship leaves on t in the year 2023, and then from then on, it's going to be 20... 20 well, they, they also said they're going to send something to Mars every 26 months starting 2018. Oh. So they're going to start sending unmanned missions first. So this, this is like a less than two years. Less, this is... Yeah, so they'll send like a just a capsule, like a pretty small, one of the Dragon capsules to Mars in 2018. At least they're planning on it. It we'll sounds see. like a really nihilistic attitude like to just abandon earth like oh it's past the point <laughs> you know let's just use the peak of our like industrial abilities to get the hell out of here you know i'll use the best example i have um because yeah it is nihilistic it, it really is I, I but i i also look at um what happened to earth forty thousand years ago uh when this indonesian volcano blew up and it's in the fossil record. We had an 1,000-year-old uh, ice age, and 2,000 humans are the were the remnants of, of that cataclysm. And you know, we we would have we we wouldn't be here if it, if it weren't for those humans. And I think that if you look at Yellowstone and the caldera that's underneath this, the size of Kansas, um, and then if that shit went just blew up, I, I think we would have something of that similar nature. It would, and we have no idea when it would go off, you know. And I, it just seems to me, like, um, like as much as I love 
earth and and for us to make it work out here like it it seems like you know it would be it would be good to have a backup hard drive or to figure out a way to plug yellowstone which seems what would be harder plug yellowstone or colonize mars well, you can't plug Yellowstone, but it's just going to pop up somewhere else. And it's under the Earth, and fucking humans cannot deal with that. So Mars it is. <laughs> but I don't know. Those sorts of catastrophes are really, really low probability, like a Yellowstone explosion, at least on time scales that matter to us. Mm-hmm. I think we should just be afraid of, like, you know, humans. Yeah. Nuclear war. I think we're our own yeah. like, existential. Nuclear war, global warming. Yeah. AI, synthetic diseases. Mmm, CRISPR. We haven't even CRISPR. talked about CRISPR. <laughs> are you terrified about CRISPR, or are you hopeful? What do you What do you feel like? How, how's how, you, know, get, you, you haven't heard about CRISPR? I get so much CRISPR. Great. <laughs> okay. That was a level 4.5 pun. That wasn't a pun. Oh, okay. <laughs> you literally are going to become CRISPR. Start modifying my genes. Yeah. Get some better ones, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm actually really. So, 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 Fong, CRISPR is going to be, is doing to DNA what we can do to code now. Like, like we can modify life itself. Um, and it's and it's getting better and better and better and, and it's uh, we we sorry we have an, a, a, for example a, a startup um, in our accelerator um, that is using uh, CRISPR techniques I think to modify the genes of mushrooms to create leather so they're making leather out of mushrooms uh, which is good because then we don't have to like get it out of cows and have to deal with that mess um, but but these are like things that are on their way where. You know, plants and animals are going to be modified to do our bidding. But go ahead, Andrew. I don't know. Um, I mean, things are going to get a lot more interesting. That's guaranteed, like one way or the other. Um, you know, time will tell, like, what the implications of it are. I feel personally, you know, I, I guess out of, I'm kind of, I choose to kind of feel excited that I was, uh, you know, Martha. My partner and I are going to have a child in, um, in four months. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, years of practice finally paid off. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm, I, I, I feel like I could change my mind, but I'm really grateful that this happened before I had an option or an opportunity to CRISPR my child. Mm. You know, like I'm, I'm almost glad that I wasn't... I mean, I have a some. I have a hard time picking out shoes, you know. <laughs> like I'm plagued by too many decisions in my life, and the idea of actually like opening up kind of a catalog and being able to, like, met, like I'm glad. I think I'm grateful that I didn't even have the temptation of being able to meddle or um, pick the genes or the. Uh, I'm just excited to have like a. a you know, this might be one of the last generation of like naturally born humans, and uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of grateful for that. You know, mm-hmm. who knows if there's going to be another little Jones sibling in the future, and if we can make him into like an Ubermensch or not. You know, but. <laughs> <laughs> why did he get the <laughs> This is not fair. <laughs> Get ready for that conversation, right. whatever. Damn it, mom and dad. 
I want web toes too. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be strange to be like one of those kids where they're in the class where they, like a lot of them didn't have it, but a lot of them did. And they're all like, you know, growing up together. Like that would just be sort of strange. It's like we need to make like junior high more awkward. <laughs> you know. More well, it'll depend on what we can do. I mean, I think it's grotesque that we might be facing a situation where, like, you go into uh, a clinic of some kind and um, there's, like, a price chart of, you know, standard deviations of IQ and each one oh, no. costs an additional $10,000. God, Jordan, oh, no, you really went there. <laughs> or even just, like, you go oh. in and you're like, all right, here's 10 diseases. Yeah. This one's 1% probability and costs $20,000, so they don't get it. This one's, you know, 0.5% probability and it costs $50,000, so they don't get it. And, like, the whole cost is, like, really expensive, so you have to make a decision. Like, I think yeah. that's the nearer term. Yeah, that's how it'll start. It'll start in some sort of, like, you know, under the guise of, like, the prevention of suffering. Yeah, because like, no, I don't one's, gonna, be, I don't want no one's gonna suffer. reject, yeah, not Yeah, I want to definitely, like, wipe out the possible disease. But, yeah, but profiting off of that and the inference, or not the inference, the implication of, you know, if you can't afford this and you don't get this extra peace of mind for, and, and you don't, you, you know, potentially your child will suffer simply because you don't have enough money for this, you know, to benefit from this technology, I think that's not going to be toler tolerable for most people. Um, Isn't that sort I of mean, the situation right now? It is. That's, I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing. We've, we've gotten used to it because it's just an extension of the paradigm of the normal human condition, which is that, you know, everything's a crapshoot. You, uh, you know, every every kid is, is um, comes out of a black box. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, probabilities rank, you know, so there's a kind of cosmic fairness to that type of situation, um, and I think predominantly that still governs our, our, our moral framework about it, but yeah, I mean, obviously there are kids who die of preventable diseases because their parents are poor that didn't have to die. And if their parents were rich, they could have gotten treatment, you know. So yeah, that's pretty much the same thing. But um, to make it so explicit, um, and to put the pressure on parents, on individual parents who, you know, among among all things, are probably you know have the highest priority in their minds to make sure that their their kid has the best chance of, of happiness and, and health health. Um, it's it's super exploitive. It's um it's an example of uh, of something that maybe the marketplace shouldn't doesn't have a place. Just think um, like how much testing and experimentation are they gonna take on humans? Yeah, that's that's assuming that it's you know totally safe and they're you know no they're on any like weird kawadu. Uh, you know, just, incidents. Just, just, like just, yeah, just a couple to. of flipper babies. Only <laughs> yeah. a couple of I flipper mean, babies. <laughs> it's worth the price. <laughs> you think about it, like what what happened because of the uh, thalidomide, yeah. right? Um, that caused birth defects. There was thalidomide and a bunch of 
not a, not a whole lot, just maybe a few hundred women had babies with birth defects, and it was traced back to more than that. I thought it was. Yeah. Well, whether whether it was a few hundred, a few thousand, it, it uh, speaking, you know, speaking in the aggregate, it wasn't that many, but it caused such a panic that it spurred it spurred the creation of the um, the FDA. Mm. Um, and and we all know what the FDA does now. I mean, it's got an unbelievable amount of authority and regulatory power over pretty much everything that has to do with food and health and medicine and stuff like that. Because there was a moral panic about a unforeseen consequence of one particular drug that created a um, a emotionally a traumatic r- result and it spurred people into action to say like we can never stand by and let this happen again without at least trying to prevent it mm-hmm. so you know something something like CRISPR um, there's there's a I think there's a not insignificant possibility that it will never be available mm-hmm. for use uh, on human beings. We'll be on the dark net. <laughs> well, I, 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 <laughs> let me, yeah, let me revise that. You're just gonna silk it on. Never be. Yeah, stop it. You know, it'll never be legally available for human beings, and it'll never be like a uh, an above-board uh, marketplace. I think it will be service. I think it will be. I think I, that I, I, most of the FDA's regulations are really reasonable, and I think there there are like points where I may disagree, but in general, the regulations have been pretty good. I know there are a lot of arguments that you know, if you go too far on regulation, you make research so much more expensive that more people are going to die, and, and there's some balance between acceptable risk to human life in research and the opportunity cost of not doing the research and more people dying. But like nobody knows how to like make that, how to balance that. But a lot of people are arguing we're too far on one side, making things too expensive. And as a result, research has slowed down enough that, you know, we're not able to, but you know, I, well, you know, it's hard to know where to stand on that. You know, for a new drug and a pharmaceutical to get developed from from the initial, um, um, the, the the initial exploration of you know molecular compounds, through to the commercial marketing of uh, an effective drug takes 20 fucking years, and over, I think it's, it's definitely over one billion dollars. I don't even know. I'm not sure if it depends. Exceeds that. Yeah. But hundred million. But let's months. say let's say when we don't even. Let's say we don't even go down the human route. Let's say we just stick to plants and animals. And we start engineering plants that are absorbing 100 times more carbon dioxide, growing 10 times faster, and perhaps alleviating some form of uh, car, you know, carbon capture. There's potentially positive things if it's taken. Like I think one positive effect could be if you could grow. I've seen experiments where they successfully have grown like meat. In a, mm. So you know yeah, you don't have doing like, this, doing this in our office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's a synthetic bio accelerator in the the basement of our office, and one of the companies is growing meat. You could if you could like use it to like get rid of factory farms. Mm-hmm. That's 
big boss right there. That's a better Earth for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. A, I think Frankenfoods is good. It's cool. I'm down for I mean, lab grown meat. Obviously, you got to make sure it's safe, mm-hmm. but I don't see any ethical problem with it at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. What about animals? Can we can we like start genetically modifying dogs so like they can have speech and we can start talking to them? Okay. Do we draw? Can we can, do we yeah, draw the line there? They modified the lambs so their milk had spider silk in it. Wow. They modify lambs so their milk produces yeah. medicine more cheaply. They glow into our cats. Ooh. I'm gonna get some glow in the dark seeds this yeah in a couple of months off a of Kickstarter. Genetically modified glow in the dark plants. What? So it begins. You could probably do that to to a person without any side effects. Glow in the dark human? Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to do it from when they're an embryo. Don't give me any yeah. ideas, Jordan. You know how I am, man. You, you know how I am. A glow in the dark Chris Clone. Oh shit! Oh, dude, don't give me any you can ideas. Raise them as your own, and you'll never lose them in the dark. <laughs> and he'll always, uh, you know, not not be dark at Burning Man. Yeah, yeah. Great. I could just sort of get. I can, yeah. He, can, I can give him a piggyback, and he can sort of be like my LED, and I won't be dark. You know, I won't be a dark what? Yes, yes, man. This is a crazy fucking conversation, guys. We're gonna have to bring thing to bring it to a close. It's been a pleasure. Uh, let me go around the circle and see if you guys have any last closing comments and how to get in touch with you. James Blaha, you go first. Uh, James Blaha on Twitter or cvividly.com. Awesome. Thanks, James. Um, Jordan at cvividly.com. Sweet. Ah, bong. Um, P-H-O-N-G.com. Cool. Anastasi. Hi at Anastasi.com. It's A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-Y.com. Say hi to Anastasi. That's uh, Android. Um, and uh, reach me at Android at MicrodoseVR.com. Cool. And Manish at CVividly.com. Sweet. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's been It's been a pleasure. You guys are fucking awesome. And I can't wait to um, share in this crazy future that we're all strapped into. This roller coaster is only going to get faster and wilder, it looks like. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys.